the Red 78. I just can't believe you've been positive for three weeks in a row. It must have been something I know, that's I so out of your mind. I can't believe it myself. I can't believe Available it. every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, you're welcome along. So, Monday Night Rugby, few bits of news. As expected, it was announced today, Steve Borthwick has been named England head coach. It is a five-year deal. So, this World Cup year, obviously, and then the next four-year cycle, 43 years of age now. Uh, So, seven weeks until Scotland are at Twickenham for the Six Nations. Leicester, by the way, get 1.1 million euro in compensation. And then it was a Heineken Champions Cup weekend. Uh, yesterday, lunchtime, Munster 17-6 against Northampton at Franklin's Gardens was uh, much needed and puts them in with a very good chance now of qualification. Uh, Sale, who beat Ulster last weekend, uh, just as a litmus test of where they are, they were over in Toulouse and they lost 45 and 19 in France. Saturday evening, Ulster 29, La Rochelle 36 in a very strange game. Uh, lo- two losing bonus points for Ulster. That was very much a game of two halves, whereas at the RDS on Friday night, Leinster 57, Gloucester nil was not a game of two halves. It was a game of one inevitable hammering across 80 minutes. Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent is here. And Fiona Hayes, Grand Slam winner. Leinster 57, Gloucester nil. You were at this game. I was. We have made the point recently, indeed, that it can be hard to take much from Leinster games at this time of year. Best of luck with this one, buddy. Well, like, best of luck with this anyone, you know, like, no more Leo Cullen than anyone else, you know. I mean, how do you... The people I feel... I don't feel sorry for them, really, but if you're a Leinster player, say, like, a Ronan Kelleher and Dan Sheehan's coming along and taking your spot over the course of the last year and you've had your injuries and then you're picked to play in this big European game on a Monday and you build yourself, build yourself, build yourself up for this is my chance to impress Andy Farrell, this is my chance to impress Leo Cullen and get myself back into the mix with Dan Sheehan and then you see the Gloucester team and you're going, well, I mean, whatever I do on, on Saturday and he scored a couple of tries or on Friday night, I scored a couple of tries, it's against nothing. It's against the team that I... I would be, you know, we would beat in our sleep and and, and it, it's of no value to me. It's of no value to the... 15,000 Leinster fans who were there I spoke to a couple of them went for a pint after the game and bumped into a couple of old teammates and they were all like what What my my fear for Leinster and I think what Leinster's fear will be is that next year they'll have a comp- uh, uh, they'll be selling tickets for this this game against whoever they've drawn against and people will go I, well, it's the Friday before Christmas I have better things to do in my life you know like this is a it's a bad look for the tournament it's a bad look for Leinster it was very noticeable they made the point last week that they didn't play this game in the Aviva Stadium which they've done every year this is their traditional Aviva Stadium fixture they've gone with Rassing after Christmas they wanted Rassing before Christmas if, if truth be told um, the organisers had Gloucester before Christmas they went you know what we're not going to sell that out they were right you know, imagine they they'd sold 30, 30, 40 odd thousand tickets for this game and then Leinster, or Leinster won by, by that much because Gloucester sent over a team that isn't befitting of it and it's um it's a bad look and it's a bad yeah it's it's just bad all around because it's not interesting like there's nothing interesting to say about this match <laughs> you know really like, there's nothing interesting the players went home and they'd learned nothing Leinster went home they'd learned nothing Gloucester went home and um, George Skivington spoke about how he'd learned loads about the players who were on the pitch but really it wasn't fair on them either this is your big chance he said some players have been knocking on his door for ages and this was a chance to give them their chance well, well thanks a million <laughs> you know like yeah. send me like that's kind of fodder stuff yeah put me in with the first team against them and g- give me a chance but it was 
It was awful. And the thing is that Gloucester will probably get to the knockout stages anyway. Um, Not since Ross Byrne at Twickenham has a player been thrown to the wolves like yeah, exactly, those yeah, Gloucester absolutely. players. Absolutely. Well, you raised the interesting point, Fiona. I think you're back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm here, Joe. Rory just made the point that Gloucester's still in with a great chance of making the knockout stages. So their coach said that they'll most likely be full strength for the visit of Leinster on January 14th at King's home. And so given the new format where 12 teams are being whittled down to eight, Gloucester really uh, knew even their best team had a very limited chance of winning in Dublin and actually losing in Dublin is still fine. You can still qualify very, very easily. So uh, when that's the option on offer, I think most coaches are going to take the option of resting players. Yeah, and it doesn't really say much for this format and for, for the tournament going forward, really, if if you're having games like that. I mean, um, as Rory said, I mean, they were absolutely walloped. Um, you know, first 20 minutes, they might have showed up, but I think it was more that Leinster were probably a little bit asleep. Um, and to just, it's it's great for a coach. As he said, he spoke about getting some players out there and getting them some game time. But I, I agree with Rory. Um, it happened years ago in Six Nations game. I remember there was, or sorry, in, in a friendly with Ireland there was complete changes and um, you know and when you suffer a defeat like that for a player's confidence it, it's not great it's it's better if they're integrated in with more confident players around us so look it it doesn't say much for the game obviously he got to see a few guys but um, probably you know the the fans were there. They loved seeing Detroit. Some of the sc- Detroit scored were good. I I, I enjoyed. Um, you know, obviously we saw the Dan Sheen out the back right at the end, and there was a couple of nice faces. But just as a game in general, it wasn't great rugby to watch. Okay, we'll move on. I brought it up because you were there, frankly, as much as anything. First, so we'll we'll move to Saturday at the Aviva Stadium. <laughs> this is interesting on and off the pitch More so often on really <laughs> perhaps so well I'll, I'll follow your lead then and go off there's a fair degree of ill feeling we'll come to the La Rochelle delegation in just a moment but the change of venue controversy so on Friday night Ulster released a statement where they said that Ulster rugby has been informed by tournament organisers EPCR that tomorrow's game will be moved etc so it was very much Ulster has been told by tournament organisers the game is going to be moved and it went to the Aviva Stadium. Uh, there was no time at that stage to make security arrangements for fans to attend. Glasgow in the Challenge Cup had moved to Murrayfield, but that decision was made on the Wednesday. So mm. crowd control and crowd safety arrangements were made. That wasn't possible, obviously, with less than 24 hours notice for the Ulster La Rochelle game. So Dan McFarland after the game said, I'm angry. He, he went full Stewie Burn. I'm angry. I'm angry about Never it. Never go full Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got to speak up about this. We were in Belfast this morning at 10 o'clock, half nine. The pitch was playable. We knew it was going to be ready because the weather was predicted to change overnight. But that decision was taken away from us. The bottom line is the decision was wrong. So that is very much the Ulster line in this, Rory. What more can you tell us? Well, if the pitch... So I suppose what Ulster are angry about is that EPCR didn't give them enough time. that they, they, They wanted to wake up on Saturday morning and see what the lay of the land was. I think EPCR would say um, that that's too late, that there was no scope to move this game to the Sunday. Um, Ulster maybe were playing for time that they could get to Saturday and say, well, hang on, it'll be better tomorrow, let's go to Sunday. But under top 14, we're just never going to allow that to happen because Racing were playing on the 23rd. Ulster also playing on the 23rd. Um, and also they couldn't, both BT and the French broadcasters did not have scope to show this game if it was on Sunday because other games had already been scheduled and you've got a World Cup final to take to take into consideration as well. I mean, I knew that 
the Kingspan Stadium surface was in trouble on Tuesday night. So I got wind of this Tuesday night. I broke the story at 11 o'clock on, on Tuesday night. And generally it takes a bit of time for these things to reach a journalist's ear. So Ulster, obviously Ulster knew, and the you know from what I hear, the squad knew that the pitch was in trouble on Monday. Um, they didn't get the covers down in time. There was a weather warning given about this period of time on the 7th of December. The match was scheduled for the 17th of December. They had 10 days where they knew the weather was going to be bad and they didn't protect their pitch. Um, they don't have undersoil heating, even though the, pit, the, the stadium was only done a couple of years ago. That was a choice that a previ- predecessor of Johnny Petrie made. Um, but there is, I don't think any of the provinces have undersoil heating on their pitches. And we do get, particularly in the north of the country, we do get icy weather. It's cost them a lot, a lot, a lot of money. You're talking nearly a million euro, I think. Certainly 720 in ticket sales is what I've heard, plus the cost of opening the Viva Stadium. If they'd made the call on Tuesday when they knew they were in trouble and the pitch was frozen and the thaw wasn't guaranteed they could have probably put on buses down. They could have made this look like Munster and, and moving the game last year because of the concert. Let's get all let's all get to Dublin for a Christmas game. We're going to put on the buses. We're going to get down the road. We're going to cheer on the boys. And we're going to get make sure that the RDS is ironed out. It's nominated as their secondary venue. Um, but when what I'd like to understand, and Ulster haven't answered this question yet, is, is when did they get the covers down and what stage was the pitch at at that point? And also, why was the RDS not ready for an even behind closed doors? I believe it was nearly always going to be behind closed doors because they left the call so late that it it was just they didn't have the infrastructure in place to, to get the RDS ready. But if it is your nominated secondary ground, how is there not a contingency plan that says, right, if Ravenhill's off, we can play the game in our secondary ground like this. This is all ready to go. You know, How much did the RDS know about what Ulster have down as their secondary ground and all of those sort of things? So I've um, limited enough sympathy for Ulster in this case because... It's up to them to have their pitch ready to have it. I believe sixty percent of it was unplayable on 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 Friday night when they, when Luke Pierce um, did the inspection. Um, they wanted to delay it till the next morning. EPCR said we can't take that chance because we need this game to go ahead. Otherwise, it would be twenty eight nil to La Rochelle. That was the. It was no Sunday. It was twenty eight nil to La Rochelle, okay. and that's why the game was ultimately moved. And then the RDS. They couldn't seem to get the RDS available at all. The RDS had its own issues. Apparently, the 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 pitch was barely playable on Friday night, but they ended up in the Aviva with, with well, I was going to say no one there, but nearly no one there. And uh, you know, just this horrible throwback to COVID that we know none of us ever want to see again. Oh, and every stadium and fake crowd noise, that sound just chills my bones. That that horrible, it's trigger, trigger, triggering. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It's like PTSD kicked in for all of us. My yeah. God, are we back here? Uh, there was though the La Rochelle delegation <laughs> this is just uh, great stuff really so uh, La Rochelle had a hundred or so delegates many of whom were wearing scarves and uh, supporting the team uh, so the word seems to be there club benefactors and sponsors and they flew in the team uh, charter and they were granted permission under exceptional circumstances Dan McFarlane Fiona had the line of the night he says first time I've seen delegates who are eight years old <laughs> <laughs> Absolute quality. You stayed right. But sure, what do you expect from the French teams? They're always going to try and get away with something. Um, look, I think Rory is spot on in everything he's saying. Obviously, I wouldn't know the ins and outs of it, but I do know there was wind early in the week. So um, I suppose you'd be wondering why they just didn't make that early decision and call it on a pitch. Obviously, you want to play. They want to play in Kingspan. They know what their fans can bring. They, they, they're used to the surface and all that. But it was such a shame because especially when you saw the, the second 
second half of that match, I suppose it's as a coach, you're so frustrated because you'd wonder what fans could have brought or, or could have there there been a couple of decisions that would have gone their way in the first half as well. So it is frustrating. But look, they know the, the laws, there's clear guidelines there. And unfortunately, the, the game has to be called the, the night before with television rights. So if, if you can't get your, your pitch in order, I suppose you either make that decision early and get your fans to the game or else you just have to give up that. Uh, Rory, have the eight-year-old delegates been identified? Are they? I think, I think you're right. They're club. They're basically cl- the, the backers of the club who came over on the club charter for the for the big trip to Belfast before Christmas, and they were all in Belfast. And the president was like, "I want these guys in, or you're paying for them because right. we've paid for them to come over, and so it's on you." So, um, also, you know, the, they probably had a case. You know, they, 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 if if the compensation was on the ta- you know was on the table and you were going to go to a court or you can let these people in, you just got they played hardball basically and they had right. to let them in. So it wasn't a great look for anyone. Like wasn't it, the whole thing isn't a great look for anyone. It's not, it doesn't even though even like it reminds me a lot of the Leinster situation last year with the Montpellier game where you know COVID got into the Leinster camp. Everyone knows how COVID got into the Leinster camp. It got into the Leinster camp. It ran right in the Leinster camp. They didn't have enough players to get in the plane. They claimed they did. EPC Horse claimed they didn't. There was meeting, 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 and eventually they called it off and gave a 28 0 uh, game to, La- to to Montpellier. And Leinster have been singing from the rooftops ever since that they were in the right and EPC Horse screwed them. And Leo Cullen's still bringing it up. But ultimately, Leinster you know, Leinster allowed people to go to a wedding and COVID got into their camp. So it's the same thing. Like, you know, the, the easiest thing to do in the world is kick the tournament organisers because they're fairly faceless. They sound like a a kind of a, a, a power, all powerful faceless organisation but really they're just a conglomerate of the three leagues that the teams play in and this was within Ulster's control to control themselves that you know no one would have noticed the 150 delegates if they were in a crowd of 14,000 Ulster fans you know it, it's uh, that was unfortunate I think that was a poor look and it didn't didn't reflect well on anyone the fact that the boys were or even a, like O'Carra just patrolling around the stadium as if he owned it and like he, he was in a different the, seat every five minutes I was, thought oh, it was a master class it, like, it, it was uh, yeah like I thought that was just again just the fact that he he just I mean he played there it's, it is it was his home ground at one stage he just you know behaved as it was his back garden and he was you know it's, he was overseeing a training session this is my town <laughs> exactly it was yeah. uh, that, it gave it a, 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 a something different than Andy Farrell sitting there in his home with Mick Carney um, the Ireland manager it was just it was so weird and so unusual and you know, it, was, it was so at odds with everything else we saw across the sporting world at the weekend you know the colour the pageantry all the stuff that goes with it Um I really hope it's the last behind closed door. I mean, it won't be. There'll be something else that sure. crops up, but it was grim and it was avoidable. I think that was a big thing. And yes. and, and maybe there just needs to be stipulation. You need to get next time you do like the RDS. Like Connacht just relayed the pitch. The RDS getting done in, in the next couple of years. Like get under side. Like make sure that these games aren't called off. You know, it's not. It's within your gift. You know, it shouldn't be relying on on kind of the weather to to, to make sure that things go go ahead. Yeah. Well, look. These things can happen. And the delegation point is all much ado about nothing. I, I simply brought it up because Dan McFarlane's line was just so uh, brilliant. On the pitch well, then... infuriated Ulster fans, though, it was a pretty... It was triggering for them, you know? So I think well, it is a big thing. I think it, it was... Honestly... They were annoyed at the start. They can get over that. 100 people. Made no difference. True. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they want to well, go on I about mean, that, they can. Yeah. Let's talk about the Ulster on the pitch because that's what they should be annoyed about, really. A third straight defeat. They were 29 nil down at halftime. So don't let this scoreline fool anybody. Ulster 29, La Rochelle 36 is not a reflection of what they produced. John Cooney, with the last kick of the game, secured their second uh, bonus point. So that was the losing bonus point to go with the four tries from Henderson Cooney, Vermeulen and Tom Stewart with the fourth. 
Uh, Fiona, like the way, I mean, initially, I mean, akin to going bankrupt, it was slow at first and then then all of a sudden, three penalties made it 9-0 in the first 17 minutes. So there was a real degree of scoreboard pressure and and Ulster under the cosh and then the tries came. Billy Burns injured, Doke in a 10 and by halftime at 29-0, you're just, you're kind of shaking your head wondering what's going on with this team. Yeah, I actually, at half time, I was thinking, how are they going to, especially with Burns off and Doak on? Now, I thought he did a much better second half, but I was thinking, how are they going to contain this La Rochelle team? What type of scoreline are we going to be looking at the end? But it was almost like a different beast that came out after the second half. Um, you know, you had Vermeulen, Henderson was another guy who absolutely upped the ante. Obviously, he had seen the yellow, so he would have been disappointed with that. But I, I just thought, they didn't. One of the biggest things in the game for me was their control of Dante at 12. So they absolutely, he ran right in the first half. He got his yellow card, obviously, in the second half. So he was off for 10 minutes. But I thought they, they, they marshaled him a lot better in that second half. And, uh, the hooker as well, Pierre Borgeri around the pitch was absolutely immense. And I just think Ulster went back in, took a breather and like, it was it was just strange. It was just a strange game. I mean, they had 43% possession in that first half. And then the second half, it was completely different. It was 65%. But they looked after the ball when they did have it in the second half a lot better. Albeit, La Rochelle might have gone to sleep at times. But I just thought Ulster got a bit of momentum and went with it. Which, it, it actually made for an intriguing game. Because at halftime, I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is, is going to be an absolute whitewash. But as the game went on, I was like thinking, oh, maybe they can come back into it. Maybe baby they can come back into it but obviously they got their two bonus points they will be disappointed with the loss because you you know they've had a lot of losses in in the last few games but I suppose you can take a positive out of this second half performance Mm. yeah no it's true and if if they you know the the second half in the RDS was damaging then maybe the second half at the Aviva Stadium can be uplifting somehow Dan McFarlane Fiona said on the BT interview afterwards to put the performance in the first half on his shoulders that tactically he said he got it slightly wrong he didn't anticipate that Ulster would have basically no go forward ball in midfield was what I, I, the point I thought he was making on that BT interview and, and so he said they changed their tactics a touch at half time what's your read on all that because I mean I would have thought if you're sensing early on that there's not much go forward ball in a certain part of the pitch you have a plan B or you can adapt on the pitch maybe McFarlane was just trying to take the, the, the pressure off the players because they've been getting so much criticism yeah, he would. He's definitely part of that. But I, I think when you're when you're in that and you're in the heated battle, you know, obviously your forwards weren't getting over their gain line. And uh, there was a lot of errors, I thought, especially when they went wide. I thought McElroy, a couple of guys were 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 kind of almost um, when they were getting the ball, there was a lot of knock-ons. They looked nervous. I don't know, maybe... The Aviva pitch is a bigger pitch. It mightn't have suited them. And the style of rugby they like to play, although I do think that they like to play attacking rugby at wide, but it just didn't seem to happen. So I think he's taking the pressure off a little bit. Obviously, you'd have a plan B, but it was more you get those 15 minutes in the dressing room as a coach to say, look, we're not making gain line. We now have to go back to a kicking game or we have to get more dummy runners involved because they were overusing the forwards, I thought, at times. And I think especially when Doak wins, in a 10 it mightn't have been something they had planned obviously there it, 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 they would have done a little bit of training around that area because it, it is a possibility your 10 as might go off but he seemed to overuse the forward so it was getting them back in to the dressing room and saying look we have to switch it there 
as players, obviously, you know how the game is, is played and you have a plan B, but when you're in the heat of battle and you're on the back foot and you have Dante coming at you, it, all these things can go out of your head. So I think those 15 minutes they were able to take a breather, look at their game plan. Pressure was off. They were 29 nil down. Nobody thought they could come back and win it. So I, I think he got to chat to them. He took the pressure off them a little bit and they came out and played a lot better rugby in the second half. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I wonder if McCluskey's having a bit of a hangover from being being used three weeks in a row for Ireland, which is something he's never had to do in his career. And he's just such an important talismanic figure in that Ulster team. He's their physical leader, um, and he he uh, he sets the tone so often for them. And he, he he was quite good in the second half, but he he even lost the head with the ref at one stage and got his penalty reversed at a pretty critical time. And you just wonder whether the toll of being a starter for Ireland um, for the first time over three weeks and then going back to Ulster and even you know going back and having that horrible experience against all the lads you were just playing with in Leinster and then going to Sale and now you're in an empty stadium and just yeah. I think that's a hard thing for players to adjust to once you go into that Ireland setup and it's maybe easier at Leinster because they're all you've got you're surrounded by lads who are doing it all the time so you're seeing sex and go backwards and also you're not surrounded by that many players who are doing it so um you know not to single him out necessarily but i do think that if he's not at the full level that he's at i think Ulster suffer especially when Hume isn't there and um you know they they are down a few bodies in that back line as well but I suppose that's not really where they lost the game. It was up front where they lost the game and they just weren't able to to match La Rochelle and not, very few teams are. And La Rochelle were very good in that first half and Dante was, was sensational and even tactically, you're not seeing that many teams take 3-6-9 anymore. You know, even Leinster go to the corner all the time but O'Gary, you could see him telling them kick the ball over the bar from behind the goal. Shout not, well, I don't know if he shouted because is he allowed? I'm not sure. But he was certainly giving them the, the, the big three um, with his fingers and... and they that was almost like old fashioned Munster Cup rugby, you know, just get build a score, win the game. And he was annoyed they didn't get the bonus point because he's in a points race against Toulouse to get the kind of the highest rank seeding through the tournament. But we can be in no doubt that this is a very serious La Rochelle team who are who are gunning for the trophy. You know, to go back to back, they they look like they haven't let up from last year, and that's why losing five nil in Sale was such a disastrous result. If they got something out of Sale and they got two points out of this, they're not in a bad spot. Mm. This is a tough draw for Ulster. Well, you it's, said it initially. I remember that Pool B, which has Ulster and Munster, was much tougher than Pool A. Yeah. They conceded eleven penalties in the first half. Ulster, Fiona, are these stupid penalties? And Ulster have a discipline problem at the moment, or was this just a result of pressure? It's it, it's a bit of both. I mean, look, you're you're looking at even Henderson to get the yellow card. I mean, he he was even arguing with it, and it was probably one of the most obvious penalties I've seen. He never got back inside. The ball was a rock was formed. You know, so a lot of these things was stupid but it was like there was as I said Borgery had a massive line break he 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 was immense throughout the game and it was just they were doing errors that I I, I hadn't seen them do, do in a long time players that you would think play at such a high standard that they would understand the laws of the game were doing crazy things so I don't I don't think it's a discipline problem I think okay. obviously everyone's aware they will go back to video analysis but I think they will have to look around the area of like pressure and and what they're doing under that pressure and it seemed that in that first half, everything, when things weren't going their way, there was there was just the most stupid of penalties being given away. As you said, McCluskey as well, overturning a penalty. I mean, all that stuff, these are seasoned, well, internationals anyway, and they would definitely know not to be doing that. So I think it, it's, it's been a lot of talk about the Ulster losses. They would be disappointed. And I think I saw that build up and build up in that first half. And it was, it was almost... Uh, 
almost like a release, I think, to be 29-0 down at half time because they came out and actually played some good rugby. And even that McCluskey, you know, we said he wasn't involved in, in the first half much or he didn't have his best performance. But even that kick for the third try um, crossfield to Vermeulen, like a lot of a lot of players, a lot of 10, 12s would look across and, and see your number eight and think, I'm not I'm not kicking that ball across there for him to chase. But they just seem to have the shackles off and Vermeulen gathered pace and put down in the corner. So I think it's their their discipline has got to do with the pressure that's building on them. Yeah. So they're gonna to have to look around that area, Joe. They must be Rory a touch punch drunk at the way their season has just gone all of a sudden because they started so well they were probably looking down at Munster saying whew there for the grace of God and we're the second best team in the country and they were playing brilliant attacking rugby and everything pointed to them progressing once again in Europe and doing something again in Europe after pushing to lose so close last year and now from the second half of the RDS so two and a half games later there's like a sense of implosion about the thing yeah absolutely and it, it at half time it looked like their season was gone not not that's too strong because they're still very well placed in the URC but to have I mean Henderson only came back is only back two weeks and like he, he must have watched the first 10 weeks of the season going god I'm going come back into a pretty good thing here and now it's all falling around falling apart and now he's kind of probably chasing performances because he hasn't played in you know five six months and now he's back in the team and he's suddenly been asked to lead and make plays and, and where he, he thought he was going to be slotting into a winning team he's suddenly in a crisis and that's difficult as well and is Europe qualification beyond them now can they make top eight yeah they can uh, the seven and eight were enough in, in the two pools last year they've got two so if they beat Sale with five points they're on seven and if they can get something over in La Rochelle which is a serious ask but they're able to score tries like it's two ways of getting a bonus point yes. La Rochelle will be chasing points over there as well they can get to eight or nine um, they could get to even more you know, they could beat La Rochelle sure. over there like they are a good team I, I rate the Ulster team highly I think they've just had a really bad couple of weeks but it's so damaging mm. you, you, you should really try and pick your moments to have an implosion and this, these three weeks were yeah. the worst possible I, I time think they, I really do think they were so unlucky with that sale game Sale was really unlucky and Lance, but on the back of Leinster and the way things went in that second half um, and the way they kind of crumbled against 14 men that has to hurt you and yeah. it must make everyone second guess what you're doing I think one thing when they go up in class they rely on their mall an awful lot across the season in the URC and it's the, probably the best attacking mall in the URC and Munster have a really really good attacking mall and they went to their mall against Toulouse and it just didn't go anywhere and they didn't really know what to do and they didn't get any joy in, and they're, against Northampton they got a bit of joy in it and they got a bit of joy in the physical stakes but when you go up that extra level against your Leinster Toulouse La Rochelle um, I'm trying to think of anyone else who's at that level maybe Saracens I'm not sure they're, that's a different it's a different sport and you suddenly can't rely on this one thing that gets you gets you points in, in, in the smaller games and you've got to have another way and their back line isn't playing as well as it did last season and they're panicking a bit and that's probably something that when they get a bit of a breath which is not really coming anytime soon maybe during the Six Nations they'll be able to redress and refocus and they can finish strong in the URC but what they need to do is make sure they get enough out of these next couple of games and I, you know if, you're, if your maul isn't that strong and your, your scrum's decent but like you can't really go back to basics that much you've got to try and start playing and they got to connect on Friday, Friday night you know not a long turnaround a difficult place to go not a lot of confidence lose that you're on four in a row and you've got Munster coming um, on New Year's Day and Munster on a bit of a revival as well so like they're going to have to find a performance and a win from somewhere and they did give themselves something to build on in that second half Yes And I think as well Joe yeah, just as well on that there's, there was 31 missed tackles by Ulster as well I mean that's in, in the last few games it's been cr- kind of creeping in I've seen I, I spoke last week about that internal defence so yeah. look it's it defensively I think obviously they've had a change of defence coach but it seems like that across the 
part that maybe that teams are finding gaps that they haven't uh, found in the in the past. And you can have as good an attacking game, but if your defence is is not great or, or they're finding holes or you're missing tackles, I think that kind of brings down the confidence of a team as well. Yeah, no doubt. We're going to take a very short break because we do want to talk about Franklin's Gardens yesterday. So Rugby and Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Back with Rory and Fiona in just one second. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us very welcome back so Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent is here in studio Fiona Hayes Grand Slam winner is with us as well we are picking our way through the Heineken Champions Cup weekend and we'll finish with Northampton 6 Munster 17 so two Gavin Coombs tries in the first half followed by big defensive effort in the second half uh, has got the job done for Munster and they'll be feeling much, much better about life. Graeme Rowntree uh, talked about it as a brilliant launch pad for three games in the next 11 days and uh, you would think qualification for uh, the latter stages of Europe now very much within their grasp. So, uh, Fiona, this is uh, just what the doctor ordered after Toulouse last weekend and you know it's kind of striking. We were talking uh, last week about Munster forwards uh, against that Toulouse Mall struggling to defend it and struggling to push it back when they were attacking uh, but they like the look of the Northampton forwards you have to say at times Yeah look I mean look you have to you have to hand it I mean the Munster forwards I thought the back row in particular were excellent um, you know you had Coombs he, he'd he, I don't know how we didn't get man of the match. I think Ty Bird himself was even shocked that, that Gavin Coombs didn't get man of the match. He got 25 tackles defensively, 12 carries, and he had a, he had a turnover as well. So, look, they seem to be peaking. It was a funny old game, especially in that second half. I mean, uh, all the clips you're seeing is of that big mass brawl in the, in the middle of the pitch. But there was a lot of disruption as well. There was three, obviously, yellow cards for Munster. But I, but I thought they had... Definite great intent at the start, um, Joe. Um, that first uh, three minutes into the game, that set piece where they went wide off the scrum, and we saw Earlsey kick through, and Connor Murray eventually getting they got that turnover to lead to that first try for Coombs. So look, we talked about them, and you said it earlier about that pack coming up against the big teams. But I know Courtney Laws wasn't involved in this game, but there were some big forwards. You'd lose Ludlow. I thought they really stood up physically in the game, and as the game went on and on, and the the confidence was building I thought the back row in particular were really really good yeah it's back to that old forwards win games adage really if you look at Munster's two opening games especially this time of year you know it's um, it had a it was a bit old fashioned in a way it had a bit of madness about it it was kind of you know as, as uh, Ugo Mola said after the Toulouse Munster game it was more of a European Cup match than a Champions Cup match it wasn't hugely I don't think it was brilliant quality in terms of the, the two teams I think it was it was a bit mid-table Well I was going to um, say if you were a neutral watching that you'd say oh well this is a mid-tier European mm-hmm. Yeah and I enjoyed uh, and, and, and an enjoyable one at that it was it was two teams going for it mm-hmm. in, the, in a difficult conditions Neither of whom I think are going to be there at the elite edge of the tournament. Or, you know, I think Northampton are a decent Premiership team who can't extend themselves over two tournaments. They went hard in terms of their team selection, um, but their lack of their, their inability to break Munster down in the second half. Like they could still be there now, and they'd yeah. be they'd be struggling. Now the ref gave them a few helping hands along the way, but you know Munster would feel they got the they didn't get the rub of the green against Toulouse a week before, so that you know they were owed it. So there's. Um, 
it it was it, it was thoroughly enjoyable and uh, no more so when they were having a big scrap in the middle of the pitch like that was that was great like you know we talked about why it didn't you know Friday was so anemic and behind the closed doors was so anemic on Saturday this was this meant something to the people who were there there was yeah. a reasonable travelling crowd over it looked like there was a bit of there was a bit of life to this game and with that and there's a lot to be said for that even if the quality wasn't brilliant so um, it was a good win a very good win and it's again co- coming from where they're coming from having dipped badly at the start of the season there is a steady sign that obviously the team are playing for the coaches that there's a bit of spirit there that there's a plan there that they're following they're not able to solve everything themselves and they were making like I think Dave Kilcoyne gave away the same penalty three times in a row and was lucky not to go into the sim bin during that second half so they still need to learn on the job and they can't be satisfied with it they got to go that's a good win let's get better and not go that's a good win we're all legends let's, let's, let's just take like take Christmas off which has happened the odd time under Munster over the last couple of years where they've had a great Heineken Cup win this isn't a great one but it's a good one and then they haven't backed it up and no better way to back it up than when Leinster come to town on Stevens's day. Jack Crowley, yeah. uh, so, sorry, Fiona, were you coming in? Yeah, no, just even on that point as well, defensively, you know, I, th- I thought they were really good and especially that 71st minute, Joe, when, you know, that could have been the turning of the game. You, Northampton could have found a way back, but they kept him out and out after nine phases and eventually um, killed that ball. But they, Munster as well had 35 missed tackles in that game as yeah. well. So that's like, that's an area, although defensively they were very good in tight, they'll have to work hard on that as well going into that game against Leinster massively. You can't have turned 35 missed tackles. I was just going to say, Jack Crowley, I mean, you have to remind yourself, this was just his eighth competitive start for Munster. So this he's, he's so fresh on the scene, you need to remind yourself of that at times. And he started at 12. He was given 54 minutes. The Roundtree verdict on his performance at 12, Fiona, was pretty good, not perfect. So what did you see? Yeah, I was the same. I, I I was looking forward to it. I was excited, but I don't think it was a, the type of game that you were going to see a lot of no. Jack Crowley at. As we, you know, we spoke about like the ball was kept in tight a lot of the time in the forwards. Um, you know, it was one of those kind of dirty games where where they had to kind of. There was a lot of pick and goes. There was a lot of malls, and obviously when the, when the ball came out wide, he he shows his class when he gets on the ball. Um, probably didn't. I would have liked to see him kicking a bit more. Um, but look, he'd 55 minutes on before Scannell came on. I think it was a good outing. And the more he's in there and the more he's playing, I think we'll see more and more of him. And I think, to be honest with you, Joey's standing up in that as well. So he knows there's a bit of pressure. So now Munster get the chance to look at maybe this uh, 12 pairing of Crowley and Frisch or, or or what, or if if we can see, you know, if Joey's nailed down at 10, which we think it's going to be. I think it's exciting but you wouldn't say it's a perfect performance but as you said eight starts I mean he he done really well and definitely looks like a, a kid that doesn't take pressure at all mm. What's your sense of it? Like he's not crash ball No well though he tried it uh, quite close to the line and, and it was a good line but he, 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 he dropped the ball I actually I think it's a better play late in the game I think it's better against the tired defence I wouldn't start with it I'd go to it I'd put him in the 22 jersey and if Carberry's going well bring him on beside him and you, you, you change the picture in front of the opposition defence I thought it was I can see why they did it because he played very well against Toulouse and he and he and they looked good when he was on. Yes. But away from home in England, I thought you would be better off with a, with an out and out twelve. Particularly looking at the forecast and the way things have been for the last while, I, I admired that they went for it and I thought there was parts of it that worked and looked very good. But um, and I think there's a future in it to some to some degree, particularly when the ground hardens and 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 the, the and, and things are better later in in the season. And I think there's part of it they just need to get him on the pitch because he's obviously so good. Mm. But I'd hate to see him fall between the stools. I think he's a really good ten. 
the problem is he's got a very good 10 ahead of him and his job is to, to, to knock Carberry out and Carberry's clearly number one and as Fiona said Carberry's responded very well and he's playing very well um, he'll get a chance over Christmas I'd imagine I think Carberry will probably stay, play against Leinster and then get two weeks off I think everyone's getting two weeks off if you played in November so it's about picking you know Connacht gave a lot of their lads two weeks off during the, um, the these games the, the European games whereas Munster and Leinster will, and, and Ulster will have to do it over Christmas so I would expect to see him get a couple of games of 10 over Christmas and that will he probably needs Carberry to pick up a knock somewhere along the line and get an extended run or else to be just shooting the lights out and, and, and overtake him but that's a hard thing to do when you're on limited game times I think it's an option I wouldn't be going with it necessarily every week but with you know they obviously don't think of an awful lot of Fekatoa um, mm. and Scannell is decent but you know they're they they, they, they are, they're not convinced about him either as they wouldn't be bringing in an overseas 12 every 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 season so Fekatoa seems to pay the price for the early season Wobbled, yeah, it? it's uh, it's not gone well for him. You know, you look at Charlie Natai and the impact he's had at Leinster. Much less Harold, a player, similar age profile. Um, Fekato's got more caps. You know, he's got more stardust, but it just didn't go out go well for him at the start. And you know, you can't afford as a as an Irish team where you're only allowed to have two or three overseas players. You can't afford for your All Black to be sitting. You know, mm. I don't know was he playing AAL the weekend, but he may as well have been. Like you know, it's not it's not right. It's, it's, it's a bad it's bad business. And you know, there is talk that they're trying to cut him loose. But that's a hard thing to do, you know. You're kind of looking for someone to take him off your hands if that's the case. Uh, look, he's quality. Like he's obviously a very good player with a very good um, CV. Last couple of years haven't gone great for him, but you know the coaches are good coaches. You would hope that they can turn him around and, and get him back on the pitch because you know he's earning a fair wedge down there, and, and um, at the moment it's it's going to waste. Yeah, and even with that, like a lot of the games he played was with Goggin at centre, you know, so I would actually have thought they might have given him a, a bit of game time with Frisch and missed it up or Anton or um even with if they were trying if they were trying Crowley, I thought we might have seen Fekatau in this game as well, like that 12-13 combo. So it's it's very strange that um his form obviously wasn't great, but I thought he might have gotten a chance with a couple of other centres as well, Joe, just to change things up and see how he played because it was mostly Goggin they paired him off early in the season with mm. On the dust up so the referee's been criticised in various quarters Alan Quinlan was critical on the AM show this morning he was making the point for a start he said the Matt Proctor flying hit on Keith Earls let's not even look at a replay of that that's just a yellow off you go because yeah. that was wild and, and unnecessary and, and Earls was just prone to be smacked and then on the 2v1 on John Ryan who I don't think initially got involved as anything but a peacemaker but found himself on the ground in a 2v1 situation and there were forearms on his neck I mean it was a case of Mike Haley to the rescue there I mean like that was not the prettiest not spectacle nice, at all It's not a nice experience I've been I've been pinned on the ground like that and it's it's a horrible feeling um, and yeah I think Northampton were the aggressors and, and Munster kind of were were were, were, you know, stood up to them, but it was definitely like even the way he was kind of flipped by the neck down onto the ground and then pinned on the ground like yeah. that. I thought that was, you know, he, it, JJ Hanneran summed it up on on commentary when he said, "I've played in France and I'm not surprised he's just given a yellow each and He's off you go." Top fourteen referee. That's yeah. that's the, um, that's what they do generally over there when these things happen. But yeah, I thought the the Proctor one was was a definite yellow. I definitely Munster were more sinned against than that. I think more, Munster were more sinned against in that scenario. And yeah, Jack O'Donoghue can count himself very unlucky to have been sinned. Conversely, I think Craig Casey should, should that should have been a penalty try. Yeah, so yeah. and and I think there should have been an extra another Munster yellow. They gave away four mall penalties in a row. The ref seemed to forget about them because play went on after one of them. But that, that's a lot in the same scenario. They gave away a lot of penalties in round twenty two, and largely got away with it. So the the it evened itself out over the course of it. But it. 
it added to the colour and the, 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 the enjoyment of it all from our, you know, nobody nobody got hurt, thankfully, and, and it was uh, we don't see it very often these days. No, it was it's so fun. rare. Yeah, it was a real throwback. So referee appalling to both sides, Fiona, is the summary there. Yeah, it, it, look, I, I watched it back um, and especially I watched it back again because obviously you missed the start of it, you know, because the camera's up about 25 metres up in the pitch. So I was trying to see exactly how, how it started, but you got all the camera angles after. Look, I, I think obviously it's not nice on John Ryan, but... I think, look, he could have gone red, but if you want to stamp that out of the game, but there was no like fist to face or anything. Look, you, it's it's very uncomfortable situations. Obviously, when everyone goes in, um, obviously there's cameras, but you know that from playing yourself, you you call everyone in uh, if it starts. So then you you can see, you know, everyone's in there, and they're not going to send everyone off. But look, it's. Especially the Craig Casey, I think Munster got really lucky with that one. I mean, he wasn't going to pick the ball out of the air, so he judged to stay down and tackle the man and completely misjudged it. And there was no one there, so it should have probably been a, a penalty try. There was a couple of bad decisions, but I think that's just the nature of the game. Sure. At the minute, they tend to balance themselves out over. So look, um, obviously bad errors were made at times. And, you know, you look at that and you don't want that in the game. But it did it did enjoy a bit of a spark in the game. And you could see Jack O'Donoghue smiling and Lewis Ludham. So, look, as long as no one was hurt, I think it's a couple of yellows and, and jog on again as well. What you're both saying to me is you love to see it in the game, I think, is the, the summary there. You absolutely love to see it. Yeah. Major uh, Sunday lunchtime. Um, Munster are one of six teams on five points. They have Northampton coming to Tome on the 7th of January. Then they'll have to lose away. So, you would think uh, knockout stages Beckon, which is um, you know, it's been a great turnaround for them. They've uh, Munster and Ulster have uh, passed each other uh, somewhere over the last couple of weeks. As for Connacht, very um, briefly, because we're pretty much out of time, they beat Newcastle in week one, having rested a bunch of frontline players, and then uh, repeat, repeated the trick away to breathe 31 24. So that's been a great fortnight in Europe for Connacht. Yeah, confidence is up. I didn't get to see a lot, a lot of this because I was covering the other game at the same time. But, you know, their old friend Abraham Papali, who left Connacht for brief, got himself a red card. He picked up a few when he was in Connacht as well mm-hmm. um, for a high shot again. And that helped them along the way because Brief picked a pretty strong team. They wanted a home win to try and boost their top 14 chances, really. They wanted to get a bit of confidence in. And, and uh, Connacht went over and did a job. I don't think. Don't think they're playing. They're not shooting the lights out, but they're getting some good results. I think they're targeting Friday night against Ulster. Um, I think they'll be targeting the RDS. They're 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 coming into this URC um, window with a lot of um, momentum and a lot of players with a bit of rest under their belts as well. And they'll be hoping to play against weakened teams. And and that's I think URC is their priority. But to get a knockout game, like they're on course now to have a home knockout game in the Challenge Cup, which again go back to Gloucester they're not going to be, get that big gate in King's home that they will get out of a home last 16 game even if they do qualify whereas Connacht will get a big gate in, in, in yeah. the sports ground yeah. there's an Aviva Stadium final there to be played at. you know you don't know who you're going to get in the knockouts it could be a difficult route but like, like Andy Friends only got two competitions he can win that's actually the easier one of the two so why, like, why not go, go oh, it's their best chance of a trophy it. yeah absolutely no and, and you get into the Champions Cup that way as well if you win it so yeah. it's um, they're in a good spot you know like their URC start was awful the first five games were really difficult They've got a few points in the board now. If they can get through this period with a couple of wins, they're in, they're not in a bad spot. Like you know, like I don't see them winning either trophy, but they want to get to knockouts. They want to get into the Champions Cup next season, and that will be a good season for them. And um, they're in, yeah, they're looking pretty good. Okay, folks, we're out of time. Uh, Rory O'Connor of the Gersh Independent and Fiona Hayes uh, with us. I guess uh, well, next Monday is Stephen's Day. Yeah. So I'll see you when I see you. Thanks for everything all year. It's been great, Fiona. Thanks, Mel. 
Thanks a million, Joe. Rory, thank you. Thanks, Joe. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everyone. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.